What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Uh, today we continue our Lenten series on Simon Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. Last week we looked at the initial call of Simon Peter to follow Jesus. Surprisingly, Peter actually had a chance to follow Jesus much earlier in the Gospels, but he ignored it. It wasn't until Jesus came to Peter, preached in his hometown, and did a miracle dumping two boatloads of fish onto his boat that Peter finally paid attention. Uh, Even at his second chance to follow Jesus, he was scared. He didn't want to do it. He wanted Jesus to go away. He saw the distance between his sin and guilt and how awesome and holy Jesus was. But Jesus convinced Peter. He said, don't be afraid. Follow me. And Peter did. Even if we too don't feel worthy of God, Jesus bids us to follow him. Every day is a chance to say yes to God, and we here at Grace want to help you to choose him. Today we look at another story from Peter's time with Jesus and the rest of the disciples. This is the story of Jesus walking on water. Uh, Kathy is going to read for us this story from Matthew. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people and, uh, and is bringing his teaching and healing time to a close. He is taking a break from his ministry to spend some time communing with God, but it doesn't last very long. Let's hear the story of Jesus walking on water and listen particularly for Peter's response in the middle of it. Hear now the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, 22 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he came frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Genesaret. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and 9 through 10, The earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Let's pray together as we begin. 
God, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Open our hearts to you as we navigate the storms of life. Be our rock and our redeemer today and every day. Amen. Uh, after last Sunday's service, we had a Bible study exploring the call of Peter and our own call from God. Because Peter was a fisherman, afterward it led to some great stories about fishing and boating. Uh, one was of a person who capsized their fishing boat, which reminded me of a boat ride I only wish that I could forget. Years ago, I was at a church camp, and the preacher had asked me to dress up like Jesus and tell a modern version of one of Jesus' parables, the story of the Good Samaritan. I know he picked me to be Jesus because I was the only person at camp that had a beard, but I felt honored nonetheless. He wanted the experience to be as authentic as possible, so we put on our costumes, and just like in the Gospels, we would arrive by boat to proclaim the word of God. Now, for some reason, the preacher assigned the two biggest kids at camp to play the role of these disciples. They didn't look like disciples to me, though. They were more like the bodyguards of Jesus, two huge guys protecting the skinny kid with a beard. But when I climbed into the boat, it was one big kid in the front, me in the middle, and another in the back. And when the second guy climbed in, my goodness, the top of the boat was this close to the edge of the water. Just the slightest dip, and we would surely sink. If it was nice water, that would be one thing, but this was camp water. It was basically a swamp, and every camper all summer had been in that water. On top of all that, there were these snapping turtles that were literally bigger than I am. Uh, so, after we got out and did the drama, we had to climb back into the boat, and I felt certain we would go under this time. The Lord kept us afloat so that I could proclaim the word of God and tell the story of Jesus, but I was sure that we were going down now. It was certain doom. Of course, I survived, we didn't go under, everything was fine, but I can't forget clinging to the sides of that boat, praying that we wouldn't sink. I've heard of folks on a boat in tougher situations than that, though. Remember the Costa Concordia? That was the cruise ship off the coast of Italy that was four hours into a cruise when it struck some rocks. It happened several years ago. The captain decided not to evacuate and instead ordered dinner to be served to everyone on board. Within a few hours, the ship ran aground and keeled over. Over 4,000 people were trapped just a few hundred feet from land. Dozens died and the captain was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Final cost of the disaster was over $2 billion. Now that is a real boat problem. Now then there was the container ship Evergreen that blocked the Suez Canal for six days. That was almost a year ago today in March, right? The ship weighed 200,000 tons, was longer than two football fields, and got stuck because of a sandstorm. It took six days to dislodge and backed up over 369 ships and nine billion dollars worth of global trade. This is an incredibly expensive boat problem. And boat problems are a pretty good analogy for life. 
All of us have trouble in life. We all have problems. Maybe not as expensive as those big ships, but like me in that little boat with two big guys in the swamp, we may dread sinking because of these problems. We may feel like there's no hope, like there's no other alternative but to suffer and be miserable. Just in the last few weeks, we've had people share prayer requests for some very serious problems. One person is losing their home. Another is undergoing cancer treatments. Another had heart problems that could kill them. That's not even to mention the list of problems we have every day. Maybe you feel run down or or having problems with your parents or your child. This past week, I heard a statistic. Over two and a half million youth have major depression. And about 50 million adults have experienced some form of mental illness. That's one in six people. If you are on a boat that is large enough, you might feel like nothing could hurt you. But health problems and problems of the mind have a way of making you feel like you are on a tiny boat all alone. They can isolate you as though there is no one to help. As though you have to deal with the problem all by yourself. It's actually in some ways a very natural response. When we are in danger, our brains become restricted. Stress and anxiety literally mean to choke, and the brain is choked off so that we use it less. Instead, we use the part of the brain sometimes called the reptilian brain. This is the part that, when we get scared, kicks in our fight-or-flight mechanism. Actually, today it's called fight-flight-or-freeze mechanism. Uh, We are in sometimes stunned silence or too scared to move a muscle. I felt that way on my little boat that day. I gripped the sides tightly and did not move. Have you ever felt that way? I'm sure that's what the disciples experienced on their boat. The Gospel of Matthew describes the incident. Jesus has sent the disciples to cross the lake on a boat. He dismisses the crowds and then goes up the mountain to pray. Now, the scripture doesn't give us any more details than what we read, so we don't know if Jesus can hear the disciples or see them, but they are in trouble. Their boat was battered by the waves and far from land. On this lake called the Sea of Galilee, storms could strike very fast. This lake is over 600 feet below sea level, and there are mountains nearby that are over 2,000 feet high. So you can imagine the contrast. The mountains have dry, cool air, and the lake is semi-tropical with warm, moist air. When these collide, you get violent storms. We had some version of that this past week. Besides the snow yesterday, earlier in the week we had a polar vortex from Canada and the warm, moist air from the south. When they smashed together the east coast, had a huge storm. We went from a 70-degree day that felt like summer to snow with 50-mile-an-hour winds. That's what happens on the Sea of Galilee all the time. It can be incredibly dangerous when one of these storms hits. Uh, Here's a a famous painting from the 1600s by Rembrandt that gives you at least some sense of what the disciples must have been going through. They are quite literally on the edge of death. And as their fear escalates, what happens? They are stuck in fight, flight, or freeze. I bet the experienced fishermen kept working trying to get things under control, but I'm sure the rest were holding the edge of the boat, praying to God that they don't drown. 
Notice how in the biblical story, it goes from the evening when Jesus is praying and the waves are battering the boat to early in the morning. They have been on the water throughout the night. The lake is only about eight miles at its widest, so for them to be out all night means the disciples have lost all control. They cannot get back to the shore in this violent storm. And then in the midst of it all, they see Jesus. They think it's a ghost, which probably seems weird to us, but this lake has a folktale about it. They say there is no bottom to this lake. The lake is so far beneath sea level, the story is it's a gateway to the dead. To see someone on the water in that storm is obviously impossible, so in the midst of their fear, they lean on the folktales of their youth. Seems odd, doesn't it? The disciples who are followers of Jesus, who are learning about the God of the universe, so quickly abandon their faith. We learned in our Simon Peter small group this past week about Simon Peter's hometown. He actually lived on the wrong side of the river, so technically he didn't grow up in Israel. He was almost a foreigner traveling through the country with Jesus. And one of the things that everybody knew about the Jewish people living over there was that they were less educated, had a lower income, and were less devout. When the fear of the storm washes over them, they go right back to their old superstitions. They fail to cling to God. So what happens in the story? The person on the water, of course, is Jesus, and he tells them, don't be afraid. Peter seems to make a remarkable about face. He goes from superstition to faithful disciple in a flash. As soon as he knows it's Jesus, he calls out to him, asking to join him on the water. Peter wavers on the water, but as Peter and Jesus climb into the boat, the winds die down, and they realize they are with someone of unbelievable power. The only one who can control the wind and waves like that is God. That's Genesis 1. No one else can do that. And so they have seen firsthand how Jesus is not just a man who helps and has great lessons and perhaps can even heal people. He is God. And that makes all the difference. There's a cute story of a boy who would later in life become a paleontologist, studying dinosaurs as a career. When he was just eight or nine years old, he was at the Natural Museum of History in New York City. As he was standing underneath the enormous and terrible Tyrannosaurus Rex, someone sneezes very loudly. And for this boy, for just a brief moment, he thought the Tyrannosaurus had come to life. He was scared out of his mind. But he says immediately after that awful moment of fear came this beautiful moment of wonder. He let the possibility of these huge creatures alive roaming the earth enter his imagination. This moment of fear propelled him to a successful career studying dinosaurs. I wonder if that's something like what happened with Simon Peter. His fear on the sea, amped up by seeing a ghost hovering on the water, goes from out of his mind fear to a moment of total awe and wonder. This isn't just a man, this is God with us. 
whatever storm we find ourselves in, he can control the wind and waves. I think the same is true for us. Whatever storm we face, whatever fear makes us lose ourselves, God is there. And he offers us a chance to be in awe and wonder as we connect with the God of the universe. Pastor Adam Hamilton says of the struggles and trials we face, God didn't wish for it. He didn't plan it or cause it or will it. But when it did happen, he says, you are mine. You are safe in my arms. And that simple fact does truly change everything. You are not alone. God is with you, walking with you, even when the circumstances dictate that it is impossible for Jesus to be with you. God is there. God is with you, calling you back to a life of deeper faith. He's not reprimanding you for your fear. He's not angry you missed it. He just calls you back, inviting you to a life of wonder and awe, promising to always be there. To me, that is good news. God is with me despite my flaws, despite my failures, despite the things that have caused me to panic, certain that my little boat is absolutely going to sink in the water. God is climbing into the boat with me. Jesus is there. And if I can accept that utterly terrifying moment of pain and fear and anomie and just let it in, Maybe when I let Jesus climb into the boat too with me, something new and beautiful will come from it. Jesus' presence presents new opportunities for us. With God, we are not stuck anymore. Several years ago, I felt genuinely stuck in a difficult situation. I had gone to a doctor because I was having problems getting enough sleep. I would go to bed at night exhausted, and, and somehow in the morning I would wake up even more tired than when I went to bed. Every night I could feel swelling that made, me, uh, made it near impossible to breathe. So I finally saw a doctor, and maybe you've had an experience like this before. I told the doctor my story, and it didn't really seem like she heard me. It was uh, months of different treatments, and everyone just didn't seem like it was addressing the symptoms that I had specifically. At one point, I remember the nurse asking what treatment I was on, and I told her she was happy for me, assuming it worked. And when I told her that it didn't work, she said it never doesn't work. It works for everyone. And that's when I was sure that I was stuck. I knew I was in the wrong place. And in the middle of this awful situation, every day worse than the day before, no treatment is working, and I'm starting to think, maybe this is it. This is just what the rest of my life is going to be like. I had the shock of my life. My son, Davey, was maybe three at the time, and his little brother had just come on the scene. At this point, Emily usually slept in a different room with Hal so I could possibly get some sleep. And one night, little Davy comes into my room and wakes me up. Now, right away, I feel the complete exhaustion, and I am beyond angry. I am ready to explode. And I ask Davy, why are you here? And he tells me he needed someone to snuggle him. And I am apoplectic. I'm furious. I start yelling at him that he needs to go back to his room and lay down, that he has never, ever 
to come into my room again. And after I finish my rant, Davy gets up and leaves the room, and immediately I am filled with shame. I think to myself, that's it. I have ruined my relationship with my son. He won't come back and his innocence is gone forever. I am an awful, terrible father. And just as I finish this internal monologue about how bad of a father I am, here comes Davy. He is back with, this time with his pillow and his blanket and he climbs right into bed with me as if nothing had ever happened. And I am filled with relief. Oh, thank God. He didn't listen to me. He completely ignored my meltdown and he still wants me to be with him. My shame was instantly transformed in that moment. There is something about the resiliency of children, their capacity to love and forgive that is a real lesson for all of us. I think it's very much how Jesus treats the disciples and especially Simon Peter. He doesn't get it right in the middle of the storm, but Jesus is still right there with him and God will be there with us too. Whatever storm you face today, God is with you. He will not abandon you no matter how much you rant and rave. Your sin can't scare off Jesus and he calls each of us to love one another in this way too. It's not just Jesus that is there for others. It's all the Christians who follow Jesus too. Our lives are meant to remind others that whatever storm they face, God is there and we will be there for you too. That's why our Sunday worship is so important. We are a testament to the community that God is present. Our worship declares that God is here. That's why our small groups matter too. Each time we have a Bible study or a youth meeting, we are reminding each other that God is here and that we'll support each other through whatever trial we face. The family promise dinner that we are serving tonight for the homeless tells folks God is here. People were here yesterday in a snowstorm peeling potatoes so we can tell folks with our actions, Jesus is here for you. Jesus is still walking on water, climbing into our boats with us in whatever trial we face. There are so many ways we can communicate this simple fact to those around us. As you know, it doesn't have to be grand and complicated. One woman, Betty, does this every day in the work that she does. She's from Chicago and works at the Children's Hospital there. She is a cook, and one night, she served a mother with a child that had fallen out of a two-story window, another parent with a 17-year-old battling a rare form of leukemia, and a third whose child had just had eight hours of brain surgery. What can a cook do for these people in such difficult storms? Well, she feeds them. She feeds them as though they had walked into her own home. She encourages them. When they tell her what a bad night they're having, she says, don't lose hope. I know it's bad, but I'm here with you and I'm going to help get you through the night. Every day she prays for these people, starting on her way into work. She prays for each individual room in each building, for the children and the families, as well as the doctors and the nurses. 
as Betty feeds these people and talks with them, she is reminding them of the divine. God is here, and we are going to be here for you too. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. Jesus is here for us, offering hope when we no longer have any control. But he also invites each of us to stand by each other, reminding those around us that God is here. We can all do this, sometimes in grand ways, but also in the ordinary, offering hope by sharing God's love. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.